Not long ago, the stereotype of a journalist was someone who could ask the right questions, take excellent notes, dig deeper than the average citizen, and of course, write well. One thing you didn't used to hear was the idea that journalists would be really good with technology, even if some of them were. Now, that is until the last few decades when it became painfully clear that journalists and technology need to come together if either one is to have a healthy future. Now, today on the program, we begin a new year while standing at the intersection of programming and journalism to see what we can see. From Wikimedia Deutschland, I'm Mark von Sikker-Renderu, and this is Source Code Berlin. The necessity of combining technology and journalism is part of what inspires today's guest on the program, and many like her throughout the world, people who strive to bring tools to journalists so that they can better and more safely carry out their work. Perhaps not surprisingly, one hub for such media warriors is, in fact, Berlin. And beyond that, each year, in the final days of December, where can you find such individuals? Well, you'll find them sitting in one of the lecture halls or meeting up with journalists in the hallway or just having tea at the Chaos Communication Congress. Recently, at the 31C3, I caught up with Berlin-based programmer and data journalist Annabelle Church to discuss her experiences in and out of the newsroom, as well as the big picture. Where are we when it comes to connecting journalism and technology? Hello from Hamburg, uh, Mark Fonseca Rendeiro with you at the 31st uh, Chaos Communication Congress. And many people listening know this event as a gathering of hackers from all over the world uh, for four days to laugh and show each other what they're working on, share information, uh, worry about the future, um, not worry, maybe. Some people do that. And uh, I have the great fortune of having met and to be right now sitting next to uh, Annabelle Church. Uh, hello, Annabelle. Hey. Good start. <laughs> uh, Annabelle, you come to this gathering. Look, we all come as individuals, and we're more complex than the jobs that we do. Our interests are many, I think, as are yours. Um, but what is the original reason? What brings you to an event like this? So I guess originally I came here only upon discovering the event, which was two years ago when I was an Open News Fellow um, at Zeit Online in Berlin, and I didn't know that chaos or any of the uh, camps and Congress events occurred, and um, I came here to see what... um, a kind of historic hacker culture looked like and whether I could kind of integrate as a computer programmer from all the way over in New Zealand into this kind of um, scene in in Germany and in Europe specifically. Um, my, my Open News Fellowship is like 
primarily around was primarily around coding for journalism, like coding in a newsroom for journalists and with journalists. And so um, I was kind of firstly very deep in the journalism scene and also very much a beginner in the kind of general European hacker culture because like where where I where I grew up and the kind of computer science that I did when I was growing up there was like there's no hacker culture scene um, per se so I really came to Chaos Communication Congress to see what it looked like and it was specifically important last year because of all of the revelations that we've discovered around journalism and technology in the world and uh, yeah in every way it was um, an impressive experience not just the the event itself but like access to the community who are very lovely um, and uh, seeing how deeply people think about the impact of what they do on society in general here. Journalists at an event like this is a very recent development and it's for me it's been quite impressive and I wonder if you expect it as such that journalism and be it software or, or issues related to doing journalism is such a big deal here. So that's like maybe um, my answer to that question is complicated. So I have an initial expectation around journalism and technology. I have that expectation that's built based on my experience working in newsrooms and being an open news fellow and co-organising Hacks and Hackers and really getting involved in this community. And for me, the distinction between the technology and journalism community versus the journalism or technology communities and industries are no longer apparent to me. So I expect journalists to be at these events. And when I turn up to Chaos Communication Congress and they are here, then that validates my expectation. Now, I haven't had that expectation my whole life. I definitely have, for a good proportion of my career in the tech industry, not even understood the role of computer programmers with journalists um, and it was really only after the movement of like the news organization that I worked with, which was The Guardian, the movement of The Guardian into a kind of digital savvy, digital first new way of thinking around kind of journalism and the impact of journalism online. When they moved, I moved and, you know, all of technology moved with it, right? So um, when I first started being a computer programmer, like the idea of doing stuff in the browser wasn't so cool. It was kind of like uh, it hadn't happened yet. And now we do nearly everything in the browser and we kind of fully expect that kind of experience as a user and as a coder and now as a journalist, right? We expect stuff to happen in the browser. We expect our reading experience to be in the browser and we expect our... Um, our life to happen in this in this yeah. in this portal, and so I expect journalists to be here. Did I think journalists would actually be at a full-on technology event like this? I don't think so. Like, um, I guess I'm surprised to see so many here. But you've said it really well um, that these worlds are no longer 
separate if they were ever let's say they were 20 years ago right technology and journalism had a sort of wall between each other although here i'm holding a microphone i mean this technology has been around but uh what you say makes sense to me and i think a lot of people listening that these two worlds you're silly if i may insult anyone if you think that these two worlds have nothing to do with each other if not are one in the same uh in, in some occasions um yeah uh, how did you first get interested in journalism because your background was originally computer uh programming or computer science specifically um by accident i guess i came i sort of came to a point in my career in the tech industry feeling quite disparaged by the difficulty um the kind of superfluous use of very interesting technology to do very mundane or um terrifying things like rebranding or finance or marketing these things are like terrifying because they're a little a little soulless at times um and and so working in technology for me it was interesting because of the technology um and the domain became less and less interesting over time because i, I worked in many different domains and they were all um not not so fulfilling also working in technology can be hard especially if you're in some of the domains where um it, you're a little more picked upon as a woman per se mm. um and so just on the eve of 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 considering my options i ended up working at the guardian and i i don't mean that it happened by accident i definitely applied for the job and i definitely did get it but um uh i didn't know how different it would be i didn't know that it would be a kind of radically different um uh, uh technology job so it was different in that um i was surrounded by technologists who cared yeah. about everything that they did and they worked around journalists who cared about everything that they did and that even though maybe at that time in Guardian's um, uh, life, these two groups weren't working very, very closely together, they definitely felt that they were working towards the same goals and they were building, um, uh, in terms of technology, building technology products to support journalism and journalists felt at least that this was um, a worthwhile thing to do. Um, And this was amazing to be in direct contact with people who were consuming the things that I built and to be with people who really deeply cared about the things that they built. Um, uh, and, and these, these um, technologists who work inside The Guardian, um, they're not just interested in the technology, they're actually interested in the application of the technology and they have a very well-rounded view of the world. Like many, many of them, uh, of the most exceptional um, computer programmers that I met inside The Guardian didn't have, say, computer science degrees. They had like physics degrees or philosophy degrees or English degrees. Right? They, they did, they discovered that they wanted to create things off the back of a need in the domain that they worked in they didn't go and learn thing technology because they just just love technology for technology's sake so um one of the biggest takeaways of that was at least you have to have a problem that you want to solve and technology happens to be a means of solving that like and it's not the only means of solving a problem um 
but the people who do technology and really care about it and really work in this industry, especially in journalism, are doing it because they think that technology is at the very least a, a decent attempt at solving some of these problems. One of your interests is data journalism, and I say this because in the short time we've known each other, I've um, heard you speak about it. I know that you even met with uh, data journalists or people interested in data journalism here at the at this event, didn't you? I did. We um, we ran a, ran a little uh, workshop to get people who were interested in, in data journalism together um, to maybe talk about some of their projects or some of their problems, some of the solutions they're thinking of. And um, I think, you know, we did pretty good for the one-hour time slot that we did. We, we walked through um, some of the projects that people have been working on um, in, in Berlin and Hamburg and uh, one, one gentleman from, uh, who's been working out in South Africa. And the projects are really interesting, and I think um, it was a nice sample. Uh, I mean, my only regret is that um, of e everybody in the room, I saw very few of the journalists who I know for sure actually are at this event in that room. And I think maybe um, uh, we need to market the, market the little workshop a little better. Yeah. Well, and look, you're always going to get that. You didn't say this, I say this. You're always going to get the journalists who think, I already know everything I need to know. I already know everyone I need to know. Journalism-wise, I'm just here to get the interview, to write the story, so they're not interested in learning. I think what you get is the people who are curious. Or maybe you're right. Maybe they didn't know. Yeah, I mean, I think journalists who come to Congress are probably also here to solve some of their own problems and issues that they perceive as technology having a solution and it might be that a data journalism workshop isn't broad enough for those journalists to perceive it as a reason to turn up um, so data journalism is very narrow and I'm genuinely more interested in the very much broader field of any anything that involves uh, technology and journalism and, um, and I think that's why I find meetup groups like uh, Hacks and Hackers to be so interesting. That's the tell us a little bit about that group. <laughs> so it's um it's an interna international uh, brand with uh, chapters all over the world. I can't quite remember how many chapters there are. Um, I do know that there have been uh, two or three in Germany uh, start just this year. So um, they're expanding quite quickly, at least in Europe. Um, they've been running for five years. They started out in New York. And they, um, the, the model is basically that, that any community that feels that they need a Hacks and Hackers can create one and then they are blessed with the um, branding swag in which to do that. Um, they can have a meetup page and they can meet up whenever they want, although I guess the general recommendation is meet monthly and, and talk about stuff that's relevant to your community. And, um, and what's relevant um, has to do with the definition of the words hacks and hackers, which is a, a hack is an old-fashioned English word which isn't really used anymore or very well understood even in England for, uh, for a journalist, a kind of uh, stringer of sorts. Um, and a hacker is a word uh, which we, we all know. We're sitting in Congress, so we, we, should, we should know that, that word by now. Um, People who play with model railroad trains. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think no one knows that anymore. Anyway, the meetup is to, to, to bring journalists and technologists together um, and to um, 
and maybe integrate them as a little bit of a community to talk about the things that they make and create and the problems that they want to solve and potential solutions that they might have. And they're often speaker events, so they often like occur in pubs or in 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 spaces where people can get up and actually talk about the things that they have. Um, the the Berlin Hacks and Hackers runs uh, two formats now, like a. a, a Every couple of months we have a drinking event where people get together in a pub and they just talk to each other, which is a nice way of getting to know each other. Mm. And um, and once a month we have a speaker event where we get um, speakers from all over the place. Um, uh, um, often we're very lucky to have um, speakers uh, from outside of Germany come and speak because Berlin is such a lovely hub for um, the tech industry as well as um, uh, online journalism. And... Uh, we hope this year that we uh, <laughs> next year actually in a couple of days uh, that um, that we will be able to start doing um, workshops that cater for the needs of our community and we are not by any means the the largest tax and hackers in Europe um, the UK beats us by quite a margin but um, I do feel like we are very um, we're very well seen in Europe and that that people come from. All, all over to uh, drop in on us when they're in town. So, Let me shift gears slightly, but keeping it always personal, because who doesn't love to hear the personal side of Annabelle? Or, uh, you know, look, I mean, you're a podcast fan. You know how the personal touch can, can make a, a program quite good. But we'll talk about podcasting in a second. Let's talk about your own move to Berlin, uh, to, to Europe generally, uh, before Berlin. Um, you've told me, you know, <laughs> New Zealand is its own world, see if I get this right, <laughs> and that even at a relatively young age, you were looking to go out there. I think you called it going into the world. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so there's a kind of, uh, maybe it's a kind of um, a bit of a middle-class affectation, but definitely in New Zealand there's this, this concept that uh, you leave. Um, and you see the world um, that that is you know everything outside of New Zealand and not Antarctica or Australia, and um, and then you come back and a lot of a lot of New Zealanders go out and and come back and a lot of New Zealanders go out and don't come back and maybe the coming back is is a year or two years or ten years or twenty years but they come back with the stories that they have lived and they enrich again local culture and they change it. Um, for the better so like uh, a good example might be like that uh, you know when I left New Zealand uh, nine years ago um, we didn't really uh, eat eat French cheese and now we can buy French cheese in our markets because you know we've gone out into the world and we've brought back say for instance a taste for French cheese and so culture in New Zealand changes for the experiences of those that leave and come back um, and so I was, as a small child, very aware that my oldest brother uh, went and travelled the world, and um, it just looked like such a great idea that maybe from about the age of seven or eight years old, I saved every penny I had to travel, <laughs> to travel the world. And when I uh, finished university, I did exactly that. I bought a one-way ticket to London, and I figured if I found a job, that'd be great, and if I didn't, I'd just move to the next country. Uh-huh. London was your gateway. London was my gateway. Um, it being one of the few uh, English-speaking countries in the world that would issue me a, a, a visa to live. 
Yeah. Now, uh, forgive me for not knowing this, but if you have that visa for the UK, does that enable you um, for the rest of the European Union to live? To s no. No, no. Um, New Zealand uh, suffers like uh, every country out of Europe in that you get a resident or working permit for the country that you um, wish to. In my case, it was the UK, and then um, it allows you only into the UK or whichever country. And I, so, yeah. Hmm. And visa, visa fun is um, fun for the whole family. Um, and uh, New Zealanders are no exception, although they, they have a slightly easier time than some other countries. Was that a similar experience when you came to Germany that, again, hard time, but at the same time not as hard as perhaps for uh, someone coming from the continent of Africa or, you know, you, you name it, the certain... Did you also find this difficulty? Yeah, I mean, I have to get a visa to, to live in, in Germany as well. And uh, the difficulty with visas are that they cost money. Um, some countries are more than others. Um, some, uh, and, and they only last for a short period of time. And um, you have to go through bureaucracy whereby you convince them that you're really worthy of a visa mm -hmm. And that you will do right by their country and uh, tax system. So you have to tell them, for example, in your case, uh, what you're going to do for work. Yeah. So um, I think this is interesting for people who are considering this kind of move, or even for people who went through the pain. <laughs> Let, let's talk about the details of this pain. Uh, so it's different for different countries and I've only really got experience of, of um, getting visas for two, two, two countries um, in the UK you apply for a visa it allows you to do anything you want um, you're not restricted in the work that you can do um, although you need to earn an income um, if you want to renew that visa because otherwise you won't be able to And um, and the UK charges a lot of money for that privilege. Um, they also have reasonably lengthy visas. Um, most people can get visas for a couple of years. Um, uh, in Germany, I'm not sure what the uh, the the standard visa is, but I I've just gone through the process of getting a freelance visa, um, which is fine if you do uh, something specific like doctor of medicine and then I'm sure that you can get a visa that just says doctor of medicine on it um, but I uh, straddle this world between technology and journalism and I would wish to do all of the things encompassed uh, in that space um, uh, from from <laughs> from doing some journalism and some computer programming to maybe um, doing uh, data training and, and speaking and organizing events for people to get together and, and learn more about this kind of strange uh, intersection of, of people. Um, uh, but in order to do the, in order to collect money for any of those things, um, it's required to be on a visa and, and, in Germany you can have either an artist visa which is what a journalist would get or you get a, another kind of visa which is what a computer program would get and it's interesting to try and convince them that you want to write all these things on one visa and so you can't so officially you're not supposed to do and we're not going to talk about but uh, you know you, you've got the journalist visa so you're not supposed to do the tech stuff or you've got the tech visa and you're not supposed to do the journalism stuff yeah so they just require 
I mean, so so I have a visa that has a very limited set of words on it, and I need to send them many more letters to convince them to add extra words. And I, there's a difficulty in understanding what a a, a modern uh, a computer programmer might get up to, right? Like they <laughs> they, right. they 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 might they might travel a lot, and um, they might. Um, do a lot of different things and it's all okay like it's 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 absolutely okay to do all of these things and you can um you know uh the criteria by which you support yourself in a country uh, it becomes apparent after time um but in germany it becomes apparent after time and it must match the wording on your visa <laughs> so once upon a time you find yourself the night mozilla open news fellow yeah so um, once upon a time when I was working at The Guardian, I met this lovely um, woman called Nicola and she just happened to be one of these open news fellows and I didn't really know what that was. And um, suddenly uh, The Guardian actually had a, a hack week where all of the developers in-house stopped work for a week and got to hack on anything that they wanted to aid and abet journalism within the organisation. And uh, uh, the o open news, which supports these fellows uh, uh, living in newsrooms for a year, um, uh, brought in their current uh, uh, character of, of fellows. They, they brought in their entire cachet of fellows. I, I don't even know what we call them. A trove. A trove of fellows, and uh, they and um, and so they they hacked for a week with the Guardian. Um, and this time I met them um, formally, and I understood that. They basically were given remit by um, their open news program as a part of their 10-month stint inside a newsroom to create things for that newsroom in, a, in an open-source way and to collaborate with um, communities all over the world and attend events and evangelize the um, the wonders of uh, technology and journalism, and basically build and make and do whatever they wanted for 10 months. Um and uh, the, the program supports um, people often from outside of um, the journalism sphere who are computer programmers um, to come into uh, uh, and, and work within a, in a newsroom for a year. And the, the newsrooms are different every year and the, the fellows are different every year. And they've, uh, they're up to their fourth run now. Mm -hmm. And... Um, uh, so, in, in any case, I met Nicola, and she's such a an, an amazing um, and inspiring um, woman. And I, uh, she encouraged me to apply, and I thought, ah, there's no hope. Mm -hmm. And um, I did it anyway, and um, I, I managed to get uh, get one of these uh, fellowships. Um, and you don't know where you're going to go in advance of them announcing that you've got the fellowship, and then. Um, uh, because the the you you interview with the newsrooms, but you have no idea if any one of them are going to pick you, and um, then then you, you interviewed with newsrooms. Yes, newsrooms. So like the the, the selection process is um, is uh, uh, kind of intimidating. You 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 kind of apply, and you're one of this large pool of people who apply, and then um, uh, open news uh, uh, kind of uh, whittle down the pool to of um, the vi to the viable candidates, and then the newsrooms who are in the running. Uh, select all of their favorite candidates and they do this for like two or three or four rounds until they have like just uh, uh, one or two candidates each and then uh, Open News uh, help them choose uh, which candidate would be um, best for their environment um, 
and then they announce it to you <laughs> that you have this this fellowship. And um, uh, um, yeah, so uh, the the Open News um, Fellowship takes um, computer readers and embeds them inside newsrooms, and the the program is um, supported by Knight and Mozilla, and Knight a, a journalism foundation, and Mozilla a, a technology foundation um, that that run this program. But the the fellowships are not the only things that that um, they do. That yeah. they do. No, of course. Um, and so there you are, uh, you get the gig, you don't know where you're going to go, and where do you end up? Uh, I end up in Berlin, um, <laughs> embedded <laughs> embedded inside Zeit Online, which is the online arm of uh, Die Zeit, uh, uh, a weekly um, newspaper in Germany, a kind of academic, um, highbrow, um, very well-respected, um, very, very heavy newspaper, um, for which the online branch is very new and fresh and uh um, uh, very small. There are only about forty people, and they're completely uh, 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 separate from the the print. Um, and in fact, they're, they're even in two different cities. The print arm um, and the printing occurs in Hamburg, so they're completely completely separate. The separation of the online and the <laughs> offline. Yeah, yeah, completely separate. Um, that, that's um, that's how I ended up in 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 Berlin. Um, the decision to become an open news fellow was very difficult because I was going from one dream job to another. <laughs> So it's like, yeah. boohoo. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I, you I, did it. Yeah, <laughs> I did it. I did it. Um, and and the experience. I mean, first of all, you're you're working in a newsroom that's in German primarily, uh, but as you've said, you're all about the tools, uh, and tools hopefully are language uh, not dependent. It's a better word for that, agnostic. Um, how was the experience? Was it indeed just as possible and challenging and as it was in your other dream job before that? Yeah, so I, I think um, the Open News Fellowship is a, a kind of remarkable, life-changing uh, experience. Like I haven't met any one of the fellows who can go back to uh, normal life, whatever normal life was before the fellowship, um, because you you get to engage with all of these communities from around the world, and you get to um, see and collaborate with people with at different levels of their kind of news and journalism evolution. Like maybe they are just trying to tackle um, how to to crunch some numbers to demonstrate a level of corruption in in their country, or maybe they're um, you know, in New York, looking at how to like do this ultimate visualization of data, and seeing the kind of spread of needs in uh, in journalism for people with a kind of tech savvy is is remarkable and enlightening and and terrifying. Because uh, they really need what you know, or I mean, you have journalists who are good at the traditional journalism side. The gathering of information, but but the tools is where you they need you. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, journalists need to um, become more tech literate, and uh, the way to become more tech literate is to interact with people who have some technical literacy. And <laughs> if the people in your newsroom who have technical literacy are the computer programmers, then 
communicating with them is the right thing to do, but it's very hard to do because it's very intimidating to talk to computer programmers and actually open news fellows are the least intimidating computer programmers that you've ever met. They're, uh-huh. they're there to um, help and hold hands and um, learn from the journalists as well, right? That the, the aim is that it's not a, a kind of parent-child relationship but a kind of collaboration and um, to to work within a newsroom so so going from a newsroom like like the Guardian that was that that um, really speaks to the open to openness and and communication and it tries really hard internally to um, to, to live the things that it preaches externally um, to a small uh, newsroom in Germany that has yet to have the fear of the uh, uh, the death of print or whichever whichever things is coming um, to, to see them still processing some of the uh, the struggles that I saw the Guardian struggle with maybe five or six years ago is, is really interesting and uh is the is the dest or the destiny the same? You think? I mean, one would say, look, we're doing it all at different times, but all of these paper traditional new ways of doing news—they're all going to go the same way. I genuinely believe that the German news industry is statistically significantly different from the UK news industry, news and journalism industry. But I—I I mean, it's not. Um, it's clear that the print is declining. It just might happen to be declining a little bit slower for some of the news organizations in in Germany. Um, and if not slower, then at least um, the, the start of the decline uh, is coming a little bit later. But it, it, still, it still exists. Yeah, in Germany, um, there's a different perspective around print that there's a very strong book reading and newspaper reading culture still. So I, I don't think that some news organizations are feeling, uh, feeling it or acknowledging it as quickly as you have seen in, uh, in uh, America or the UK. And I'll throw in one other area besides print and reading generally, podcast listening. But where do the podcasts that you listen to come from? I have to admit that most of the podcasts I listen to are from the UK and the US. Uh, none of them are from Australia because they speak funny like I do. And that's humorous to listen to. Um, and primarily focus what topics, what, um, what types of podcasts that interest you? I would say that I'm more interested in a certain um, radio show style than I am in the topics so I listen to things like um, This American Life and Radio Lab which um, uh, everyone listens to apparently <laughs> um, but I also listen to things like um, The Memory Palace and 99% Invisible which have a kind of beautiful audio quality and really lovely storytelling technique um, I listen to Planet Money and um, The Moth and all of these other things and mostly I'm interested in uh, any new piece of information that I can gather 
in a way that doesn't hurt and good storytelling is a nice way of consuming that so I aim for those podcasts yeah Yeah, I'm a fan of the possibility of learning as you're going through your day (laughs) you were saying before interesting by the way and we hadn't covered that um, that even in the newsroom you have this you know the journalists of traditional journalism or, or traditional way of doing journalism needs the technologist connected to journalism, but that they don't always understand very, each other very well or one is intimidated by the other. And I'll tell you something I've had at a place like this, connecting it back to the, the Congress. Um, you watch talks that are often now about um, tools right up your alley for uh, reporting, many of them about protecting your sources, of course. Um, and obviously, they're very important uh, for any journalist would 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 acknowledge that. But at the same time, as I watch, and I don't think I'm alone here, but it's possible. Um, it, the way you're told by people who are specialists is often the sort of don't send an email that way. What are you, an idiot? Um, and 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 that I immediately came back to that when you said it's the way we talk to each other that matters that is the difference between a journalist learning something and and maybe even a technologist learning something um so sometimes i worry and perhaps that's where we have a breakdown this gap between the journalist doing a certain job and the people making the tools that could really benefit everyone including the journalist and the consumer um thoughts on this yeah, so I, I think that technologists are very um, special kind of uh, specialist. <laughs> um, and that the, the knowledge is very highly prized, and if people don't have that knowledge, then it's okay to make them feel it. Uh, um, and in, in the world that I live in, when I have to communicate with with journalists or um, people who are keenly interested in becoming more technically literate but aren't quite there yet, um, the the worst thing that we can do is discourage them from their enthusiasm. They might not know the answers to everything and they might not know the questions to ask, but um, they wouldn't be there if they weren't interested. And um, just like with uh, with new people in uh uh, who come here, for instance, to uh, Congress, um, you know, when people come up to you and ask you questions about the thing that you're doing, you you answer their questions to the best of your ability and to the understanding that you think that they want to garner. And I think the real world should be like that too. Yeah. Um, yeah, in this way I think that Congress is very lovely, that people are very willing to engage with you at the level that you're at on the thing that they're working on, be it a piece of hardware or some um, piece of uh, security technology. P- people here are very keen to impart that knowledge. I don't feel like that is ne- that always necessarily happens in um, conversations with with journalists because I think sometimes they're considered too junior mm-hmm. for um, for their own good. Um, they've got very complex problems that they're trying to solve and their te- technological literacy um, needs to be higher in order to solve those problems. Um, and the best thing that we can do is make sure that they get there without uh, 
doing themselves damage, and we can't do that if we turn them, if we if we alienate them out the out of the gate. Is that part of what you're up to? Uh, I mean, I've heard you say I want to make tools for for people doing good work <laughs> or something along those lines. I think I misquoted you. <laughs> yeah. So my 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 goal of the last summer and maybe probably of the next one too is to build tools that can be used by journalists and so this can be everything from um, how journalists can work with data to to visualizing stories but also like how do investigative journalists or journalists mechanically do their job and how can technology ease that process in a in a way um, in a way that has them feel more comfortable with collaborating with technology and with others a, a part of this process is communicating with the people that you're making things for and um, I I try very hard to communicate with as many journalists as I can and one of the ways that I do that is that I um, co-organize a thing called, this, this thing called Hacks and Hackers and journalists can come up and tell me about the amazing things that they do and I can tell them about the amazing things that um, that that computer programmers do and um, we can then collaborate. Um, and, and that's happening. I mean, what you're talking about is not just a, a dream. That is happening in Europe and beyond. Uh, these projects exist. I've, I mean, if I run through your Twitter feed, I find many of these projects. You're, obviously, you keep an eye out for interesting collaborations between journalists, technology, artists. In, in my exposure through Open News and, and coming to Berlin and working in the news industry here and <laughs> co-organizing Hacks and Hackers, I meet uh, artists who work with technology. Um, I meet journalists who wish to work with technology and do work with technology and um, activists. Uh, they're, they're everywhere in Berlin. It's, it's such a lovely scene. Yeah. So in that sense, place does matter to you. Again, and now we come full circle. Uh, at some point in your life, getting personal, haha, um, you may or may not, you could all, always return to New Zealand, but um, geography seems to matter in what you're doing, at least at this stage. Yeah, so it's, it's hard to be in the middle of uh, the European tech and journalism scene and watch it grow in... And 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 help a little bit um, if I'm on the other side of the planet looking at penguins, and oh. so I try and spend as much time as I can in Europe, to so that I can see these things change and and help where I can. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, it's probably one thirty in the morning. Uh, it's day three of this four days. For some, a five day ordeal. Um, uh, did I say ordeal? I meant uh, joyful occasion. And uh, I think we have to be very thankful, wherever you are in the world, I'm sure you're thankful to Annabelle for taking the time to sit with us. In the background, you've heard the sounds of the Congress. We're trying to be in a quiet corner, but there is a some kind of a performance going on with cheering. It sounds like people are cheering for you every time you make a good point. And occasionally they play the recorder for you also, probably. So I hope everyone has enjoyed the background sounds. But above all, a big thank you, Annabelle, for taking the time. Yeah, thanks.
You've been listening to Source Code Berlin at the 31st Chaos Communication Congress, which took place from the 27th to the 30th of December 2014. And more specifically, the observations and experiences of someone who's been instrumental in changing newsrooms from the inside in both Germany and the UK. And if you'd like to follow or read more from Annabelle Church, you can find her on Twitter at Annabelle Church or go to her website, AnnabelleChurch.com. Both will be available on our website, SourceCode.Berlin. We spoke about hacks and hackers groups around the world, specifically the one in Berlin. One place to find more information about them is Meetup.com slash hacks hackers Dash Berlin. Again, all that is on our website, which is also where you can go to subscribe now with a handy one click or two click button. And you can also leave comments and see other programs that we've put out over the past few months. That does it for this edition of Source Code Berlin. Thanks to all those who've emailed or commented on the program via the website, Twitter, Facebook. Source Code Berlin is a Wikimedia Deutschland podcast. Find us at sourcecode.berlin. Follow us on Facebook, Source Code Berlin, or on Twitter at SRC Code Berlin. Music featured on today's program was by Moldover. This podcast is published under a CCBYSA 4.0 license and edited by me. Until next time, I'm Mark Fonseca Rendeiro. Thanks for listening. Let that happen. Yeah, it's all very forced when I turn on the microphone. It's, I think it's much. I enjoy talking with people more if I don't have a microphone. I think I feel like I'm ruining the evening or something. It definitely is more intimidating when there's a large microphone in your face. I'll work on that. I'll take that as technological advice.